The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Thursday, the 4th of May in London. Coming up today... PacWest plunges. Shares in the US lender hit a new low as the bank reveals it's in discussions with investors. Pause for thought. Powell hints that rates have peaked as the Fed hikes by a quarter point. 25 or 50, that is the question. The ECB gets ready to reveal its latest rates decision. Vodafone dials up a £15 billion UK mega merger. Pay to play and spending without limits. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. I'm James Walcock. Plus, pulling more pints, the world's largest brewer, AB InBev, tops estimates as volumes rebound. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. Only days after JP Morgan's CEO Jamie Dimon said that he believed the regional banking crisis was over, another US lender's future is in question. PacWest has now confirmed Bloomberg's reporting that it's discussing options, including a possible sale with investors. But the bank says that it has not experienced out-of-the-ordinary deposit flows. The initial report drove the lender's share price down as much as 60% in after-hours trading. Bloomberg's Kenny Lyons says that a sale presents its own challenges for the bank. What our reporting indicates, according to sources familiar with the matter, is that a sale has been hindered because not a lot of potential buyers are interested in the whole bank. We have seen this pattern emerging with the other bank failures that the banks who would be buyers know that there, in theory, would be a better deal from the FDIC if ultimately receivership was how things ended. So it seems at this time that a sale uh, may be difficult to find. So the bank is also, according to our reporting, looking at potentially a breakup or a capital raise. Bloomberg's Kelly Lyons highlighting that the news has reignited market fears about the stability of the sector and led to shares plunging at a number of regional banks. Meanwhile, the chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, says the issues in the banking sector are not systemic. Conditions in that sector have broadly improved since early March and the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. We will continue to monitor conditions in the sector. We're committed to learning the right lessons from this episode and will work to prevent events like these from happening again. There are those who don't share Jerome Powell's view, though. Pershing Square's Bill Ackman tweeting that he believes the regional banking system is at risk, adding that regulators' failure to update and expand the insurance regime has, quote, hammered more nails in the coffin. Well, the growing concern over regional US lenders set the backdrop to the Fed's latest policy meeting. The central bank matched expectations with a quarter point hike, uh, while the Fed chair Jerome Powell hinted that it could be their last. He stopped short, though, of committing one way or the other. 
That's going to be an ongoing assessment. We're going to need data to accumulate on that. Not an assessment that we've made. That would mean we think we've reached that point, and I just think it's, uh, it's not possible to say that with confidence now. Powell also said that he believes a soft landing is still possible, but conceded that the US may now enter a mild recession. We'll get a policy decision from the European Central Bank later today. Bloomberg's Max Ramsey has the details on what to expect. A hike has been well telegraphed by members of the ECB's governing council. What's still to be seen is the size of that hike. The ECB has repeatedly said it is data dependent. In the past week, we've seen core inflation easing slightly, while a recent bank lending survey pointed to credit standards tightening more than expected. That's leading economists and investors to predict a 25 basis point move, a slowdown in pace from the 50 we've seen in recent meetings as the ECB has gone on an aggressive hiking cycle to try to get inflation back down to its 2% target. In Frankfurt, Max Ramsey, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Meanwhile, we will get a policy decision from the ECB that will come at 1.15 London time today. The world's biggest brewer, AB InBev, has seen that its earnings grew by much more than had been expected in the first quarter. Its adjusted EBITDA grew by 13.6% versus estimates of just under 5%. But its organic volume growth was slower than analysts had expected at 0.9%. It still does expect full year uh, EBITDA to grow between 4 and 8%. So those results in this morning from AB InBev. Goldman Sachs is racing to settle one of Wall Street's biggest gender discrimination cases. Sources tell Bloomberg the company has discussed settlements as high as $200 million with the lawyers representing Christina Chen Oster and other plaintiffs in the class action lawsuit that began back in 2005. A deal would allow Goldman executives to avoid testifying against allegations of discrimination against women in pay and promotions. Those are some of our top stories this morning. Okay, um, thinking about recession fears, I think that's one of the key issues, uh, along with the kind of US banking turmoil that has returned today. The Milken Institute Global Conference that's been taking place in Beverly Hills, I mean, it's a great kind of place to take the temperature, really, of uh, global investors. Ida Liu, head of Cities Global Private Banking, talking about recession at the end of this year. Jane Fraser, that interview uh, we had with her a bit earlier this week, but uh, she's the CEO of City, of course, recession at the back end of this year. I mean, there's just a lot of consensus now um, on the difficulties that the US is going to face. Anne Walsh at Guggenheim, the CIO there, says mid-summer, 18 months after the start of the Fed's hiking cycle, that is when the recession is going to hit. Yeah, look, this is a conversation that we have quite regularly with guests on this programme as well. And there isn't uh, a consensus about, I suppose, how how bad a recession yes. would be but the opinion definitely has shifted in recent weeks to uh, more and more of those market participants mm. that we speak to uh, saying that they are expecting recession in the US. Of course Jerome Powell says his forecast is for modest growth and not recession. Okay, uh, let's turn our attention then to results that we've had out from a lender here in the UK. Virgin Money has reported quarterly results. Adjusted pre-tax profit for the first half of the year beat average analyst estimates coming in at £312 million versus estimates of 303 uh, Also, very interesting, the first half net interest margin was a beat 1.91%. The estimate was for 1.89%. We've had out earlier this week results from Barclays and NatWest. They both reported a jump in their their net interest incomes in the first quarter, although Lloyd's talked about loan impairments increasing um, and added that the benefits from rate hikes may have peaked. Well, I'm delighted to say that Virgin Money CFO Clifford Abrams joins us this morning. Clifford, good morning. 
Morning. Thank you so much for your time. Is this quarter the peak of net interest margins for you? Well, as you said, we're pleased with our net interest margin and we've actually upgraded our net interest margin outlook for this year uh, to around 190. So we do expect our net interest margin to be broadly stable for here. Uh, but we're feeling good about the drivers of the net interest margin. What's what's maintaining it uh, is demand for our attractive savings products. And we've also hedged our balance sheet over the last couple of years. And as that unwinds, that supports our net interest margin. So while mortgage market conditions are increasingly competitive, we feel we can maintain our net interest margin from here uh, for the next, at least for the next few quarters. The Bank of England reporting rising numbers of defaults and mortgages uh, and unsecured lending in the UK in the first three months of 2023. How are you seeing default rates on your loans, given the broader economic pressure? Look, we're happy with the resilience of our balance sheet. So in general, our, our loans uh, credit quality is broadly stable. But we're also seeing some ticking up in early stage arrears, particularly in our unsecured our credit card book, but it's really from quite low levels, uh, which we've saw during the pandemic. So some of these early signs we think is, call it normalization and broadly expected at this part of what, you know, what is an economic cycle? You know, it's possible the economy uh, will will miss recession this year. It is possible, but clearly um, conditions are a bit tougher, particularly uh, for some of our retail borrowers, given the cost of living issues we've seen. Mm. We've uh, spent, you know, the last couple of days really focused on regional US lenders, banking turmoil. There is big concern around deposit flows. Only this morning we reported PacWest's statement about that, you know, emphasising the stability of deposits. It's it's the focus in the industry now. Tell us about deposit flows for you. That This is such an important issue now. Yeah, we, we've all followed those developments in the US. It tends to happen at weekends, um, that uncertainty. But it, it, it's really clear that in the US, um, the regulatory environment is a bit different to here in the UK. So a number of those US lenders didn't mark to market some of their portfolios. They didn't need to mark to market. And that caused some of the uh, some of the depositors to get nervous. And so those banks, particularly with um, larger deposits, you know, those customers sought to spread out their deposits. Now, here in the UK, we operate in a different environment. Um, and in fact, um, uh, deposits are pretty stable generally in the UK. And for us in particular, we've seen growth in our deposits of around 3% during this period. So some of our larger players have talked about, uh, you know, their customers paying down taxes or increasingly drawing on their current accounts. What we've seen is customers um, shopping around for decent rates because we've all seen, uh, you know, rates ticking up. You can get 4% plus uh, on your savings these days. So why leave it in a current account, um, you know, earning nothing? Uh, for, for us, even our current customers do earn interest, and we have really attractive uh, savings accounts, for, especially for car current account customers, but also fixed rate bonds. And we're seeing good demand for that. And that's why we've we perhaps uh, broken the trend by growing deposits during this period. How high do you see those savings rates going? We know that there's been criticism from politicians that banks aren't passing on enough of the higher interest rates in the Bank of England to savers. Do, is there further growth yeah. there, do you think? 
Look, we do expect deposit rates to move further. What you see is for, for customers prepared to lock in their their money for a little time, there's some really good rates available. So we offer 4% plus if you're prepared to um, you know, give us your funds for one to two years and customers increasingly doing that. And that means other banks are responding by putting up their rates. So it's the natural act of you know, competition. We live in competitive markets, which means we need to um, offer our customers good products. Now for Virgin Money, we've done that right the way through um, the period when rates are quite low. So we, we, we're keen to offer our, our customers good propositions because we want to grow our customer base and I'm pleased to say that's what we've seen in the last six months. Um, talk to me about the mortgage business. Approvals are falling. How much pressure is that part of the business under? I know that you're focused on trying to expand the credit card business as opposed to mortgages. Yes. You know, the talk is of um, a 10 or even 20% real term drop in home values in the UK. I mean, yes. have mortgage approvals ground to a halt? How would you characterise them? Yeah, we've seen across the industry uh, mortgage approvals down by nearly a half, so probably around 40%. Uh, so it's clear that the housing market slowed, particularly from last September around the time of the mini budget when rates spiked. It obviously caused concerns across the market. Um, so we, we're seeing that in our business, and you can see uh, our mortgage book is down a little bit uh, over the last six months, down around 1%, uh, reflecting that. Um, now, what we saw um, at the end of last year was really a sharp decline, reflecting that sharp pickup in rates and nervousness around the housing market. It's really encouraging to see some return to stability in the last month or two, I would say since since January this year, what we've seen is rates have stabilised. You know, the government is clearly keen to ensure things are sort of strong and stable here in the UK. Rates have stabilised. We've seen some confidence returning. So a pick up perhaps from some of that those lows last year. But we still expect the mortgage market to be down year on year and certainly down from the peak times during during COVID. And what we've seen is margins. So as banks compete uh, for a smaller pool of customers, we've seen margins um, continuing under pressure. And in the same way, the, the mortgage market has picked up a little bit. We've seen actually spreads uh, returning a little bit over the last month or two. And we factored all those developments in the guidance we've given today. What are you doing to control costs in a situation where you're having to pay higher rates to savers and also, as you say, starting to see early stage arrears ticking up for your credit cards? Well, we have long term cost targets. So um, a little over a year ago, we set out our cost target. We wanted to be below 50 percent cost income ratio. Um, so that's costs around half of our total income. We're a little above that uh, this period at 51 percent. Uh, and, and our costs, our absolute costs have actually gone up over the last year. So they've gone up around 5%. We've clearly seen inflation and we've awarded you know, wage rises to our, uh, to our staff, um, which is important to retain uh, and attract the best staff. Uh, we've also invested in IT. Uh, we put more staff into our contact centres because we've seen customers in volatile times increasingly want to speak to someone. And, and, and that's 
you know we've been pleased to do that um and that's cost money and that's behind the rise in our our expenses of five percent and what we've seen because income's gone up our cost income ratios in fact gone down now going forward we do expect to deliver on that cost income ratio below 50 percent and that's likely to be because costs are actually coming down in nominal terms and that reflects a few things really one we do expect to inflation to to be sustained at least for a little while um, but what we're seeing, all that investment in digitization uh, enables us to be more efficient and those cost savings will earn through. And in particular, as our uh, as the, the volume through our contact center starts to stabilize, which we've seen already, then we can we can wind down some of the investment that we put in over the last six, nine months or so. So um, okay. we've reconfirmed our our outlook and our uh, for this year and in particular you know our commitment uh, for our targets next year you know we're on track Clifford thank you so much for your time this morning that is Virgin Money's chief financial officer Clifford Abram speaking to us after the bank reported their results this morning Up next Vodafone dials up a 15 billion pound UK mega merger pay to play and spending without limits The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, the paper review on Bluebird Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Joining us this morning to discuss is Bloomberg's James Wilcock. The Times has a story about the London Stock Exchange chief, Julia Hoggart, uh, commenting on executive pay. I mean, this is a hornet's nest, isn't it? Well, it is, Caroline, and this is kind of the problem for the UK in that it is a hornet's nest. Cost of living crisis is up and people are very worried about sort of how they're going to get paid. They don't really mind what executives are paid, but they don't want it going up. But on the other hand, uh, the LSE chief, Julia Hoggart, is saying if we don't try and have a competitive pay, pay for CEOs, we're going to lose out. Uh, I went and pulled the numbers. The average FTSE 100 chief executive is paid £3.9 million, at least in the years 2021 to 2022. To comparison, the average S&P 500 CEO, that was £14.94 million in the same year. And if you look at, say, that number compared to the median employee, the TUC's figures and the high pay centres figures say that is about 109 times the median full-time worker versus is the S&P where it's 193 times greater. So there is a big mismatch there uh, in terms of if you want sort of the larger capital inflows, you may need to put up with higher inequality or high exec pay. Okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting conversation and to, to draw those comparisons there as well. Let's go to Financial Times next, though, James, reporting on uh, a potential big merger in the mobile sector. Yes. So Vodafone and Seeker Hutchison are reportedly close to agreeing a combination of their UK telecoms businesses. It would create the country's largest mobile operator, Stephen, with 28 million customers. Um, according to the FT, the deal is set to value the equity of the combined group at roughly £9 billion. Now, a big problem here 
here is that obviously we've been talking about the Microsoft Activision deal getting blocked in the UK earlier this week. Um, there is absolutely no guarantee that the deal would be allowed to go ahead for these two. The um, UK Competition Regulation Authority has already intervened uh, previously when it felt like there would only be three telecoms companies in the UK. And there are also big national security concerns. This deal is by no means completed, but the FT's reporting is saying it may be close. Yeah, I mean, 28 million customers would be the biggest um, provider in the country. That uh, will be closely watched, won't it? Uh, the Guardian, though, also writing uh, about UK government spending and the Treasury in particular. This is so interesting. It really is, Caroline. So since the David Cameron era, there's been a big focus on government spending and government departments are required to tell the public and disclose any cost that was more than 25k and anything that officials put on the, com- the government credit card that is more than £500 for a single spend. They are supposed to do that every month. The Treasury's last release is for December 2021, which they put out in March 2022. So it's been over a year since they have updated those figures. They are by far the worst for doing this in terms of transparency of government departments. And it goes without saying, but the Treasury are the ones who are holding all the other departments to account on spending. When there is big pressure on some of these government's spending targets, be they sort of on strikes, on business investing, on all these kind of big pushes for the government purse, it is fascinating that they have fallen behind in this way and something that I imagine this Guardian report will kick up a lot of stir about. And as a journalist, it stops me from having a look into them. I went to look at the December figures and I found quite fascinatingly uh, one of the big headline numbers is the Telegraph subscription that the Treasury were putting on the credit card for about £1,100 at the time. So... It is interesting. Now, the Treasury, for its worth, have said internal staffing changes have led to a delay in publication, uh, but says they will publish all required data in due course. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.